I'm Jeff Gibson. And I'm Shanna Paxton. And we are the, the Movie, Movie Lovers. Lovers. Welcome to Hello. the official podcast of the Gibson Review. In every episode, we talk about our week in review, what we have been watching, then move on to our main event, which is a main topic of discussion or main review. Then we finish off with film faves, our 12 respective favorite movies around a particular topic. In this episode, our main event is the new Jason Reitman, Diablo Cody, and Charlize Theron film, Tully. Then film faves will be... Our 1999. So we are moving into a new (laughs) decade, into the 90s, which is very exciting. It's one of my favorite decades of film. So that's going to be exciting to dive into. But first, before we dive in, Shanna, by the time people uh, are listening to this podcast, your birthday will have passed. Yeah. Happy birthday, Shanna. Happy birthday to me. Yay. What sort of things you like? do you like to do every year to celebrate your birthday? So usually for my birthday, I'll go around the house because we have our DVDs in different areas of the house. And I will pick out what I want to watch in celebration on my birthday. And usually it's Disney movies. Like the one year it was just Yeah, it's all movies. Disney movies. There yeah. wasn't anything else included. And then, you know... The last year or two, it started changing from just Disney movies to including Wild, that stars Reese Witherspoon, Mm. including Easy A, which stars Emma Stone. It's usually along the theme of what's going to make me feel good and laugh. So I actually chose Broadcast News Mm. this time, and I forgot completely how hilarious that film can actually be. Yeah. Yeah, that's this year it seems like I... Picked Lady and the Tramp as my Disney movie, and then the rest were Hayao Miyazaki films. Oh, but so are the other movies that you mentioned movies that you try to watch every year for your yeah, birthday? Yeah, Wild. Yeah, and um, Broadcast News. Broadcast News is a new one. Okay. But every year I interpreted it differently, hmm. like especially Wild. Oh. I interpret oh, differently, oh, and then okay. I included Interstellar mm. as well. We'll talk more about that mm. later. Okay. Well, I mean, that's all I can really say is like it's all feel-good movies or just movies that I want to watch for watching sake. Nice. Well, I hope you have a awesome birthday. So I hope um, you're celebrated well. So let's get into our weekend review. We don't really have anything respectively that we want to talk about. So, but we did watch a couple things together since our last episode first of all we finished blackish which is a abc sitcom that we have been trying to catch up with or at least basically binging for the past few months it's a good binge show yeah i think we was it january that we started watching it yeah it's been a few months yeah so we finally blew through all four or five seasons and caught up with the season season finale. I almost said series finale. What are your thoughts about the show in general and where it's at right now? I thoroughly enjoy this show. It's a family with four kids. Mm-hmm. So they start off having four kids and the his parents live with them. Mm-hmm. Separated. His but mom yeah. 
lives in the house with them, mm-hmm. and his dad lives in like the pool house or something. <laughs> the pool house. It's like the guest house. Yeah, it's a guest know? house. Yeah. So, I thoroughly enjoy the show. I enjoy the acting. I enjoy the t- I enjoy the talents. I enjoy the awkwardness that the mom has because sometimes she'll think she's on the same cool page with whatever it is they're doing like you're talking about tracy ellis ross yeah if they're like insulting the kids or something Mm -hmm. or just you know whatever you want to call it it's basically insulting those parents and she'll think she's on the same wavelength as her husband dre yeah and and she's so way off and it reminds me of me because sometimes i'm just too late to the party (laughs) with that kind of stuff and i enjoy the kids i enjoy They have a fantastic episode where the youngest girl gets her period Mm -hmm. and, you know, she was acting so out of sorts Mm -hmm. and, you know, that's Diane. Yeah. And we were all sitting on the couch and I said, she's got her period. (laughs) That's you just know, you know, because it totally changes your attitude to life and everything. And it was nice because what they did was all the females shared stories of what it was like when they got theirs and how their life changed because your life does you know we can hope that you know if we have a daughter one day that her life won't change severely Mm. um it'll just be like oh well you know i was looking forward to this give me ice cream you know whatever Mm. really good episode they don't they don't show a lot of that in tv so i appreciated that episode well there's there's a lot of episodes throughout the series i think that are along those lines where they speak to either issues or things that families deal with, uh, things that are particular to African-Americans and what Mm -hmm. they have to deal with. And it's definitely, it's one of the things that makes it a show that stands above the rest Mm -hmm. in many ways, right? Plus, it's also hilarious. Now, that said, I think this this is not the Cosby show. Dre is kind of a dick sometimes. As a father, uh, he willfully ignores or doesn't acknowledge his love for his first born, his first son, Junior, because his son is so different from him. You know, he, he does yeah, a lot like of. He feels he can't love him or something. Yeah, he does a lot of things that are really mean, but it's it's. I think it's a great series. Tracy Ellis Ross has, is a very dynamic actress. Uh, her facial expressions, her ability to handle all these different kinds of scenarios, she does very well, and and, and is able to change her face, exp- facial expression, uh, in within a second, you know, from going from one thought to another thought. I also love really when great. she kind of it's like her motherboard has a hard reset. Mm-hmm. This is like that's what it looks like, you know. Yeah, there's not really a weak link. At first, I thought the oldest child, whose name escapes me right now. I, I really kind of, she got on my nerves. She seemed a little vacuous during the first two seasons, but she actually kind of grew and matured a little better before she mm-hmm. had her own spinoff show, which is called Grownish, which we haven't seen yet. Mm-hmm. But uh, I think it's, yeah, it's a good cast. What do you think about where it's at now? Well, I'm a little worried mm-hmm. because, you know, usually when they're tackling issues, they do it in such a educated, comedic angle. Mm-hmm. And right now they're dealing with, well, what happens when um, a married couple is, is going through something really difficult mm-hmm. with each other. It's yeah. not because of anything well, outside suddenly themselves. Suddenly not connecting, not on the same page. Yeah, and they're hurting each other constantly, <laughs> unintentionally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And 
it's been lasting for I think three, two and a half episodes. Two episodes. And yeah. it's very torturous for me because I love them so much, but I'm also glad that they're doing it because if anyone's going to do it well, I know that it's them. It's yeah. that TV show that's going to do it well. So I'm like biting my nails <laughs> and like I'll like go in and out thinking we should watch a blackish tonight and it'll be like, oh wait, we can't. We're yeah. caught up and not. they're not in a good space. <laughs> Yeah. So I'm scared, but at the same time I'm also trusting. If that makes sense, like yeah. I'm really worried about the characters, but I'm not worried about the show. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I, I feel similarly. It, at first, I was worried. Are they going to go mad about you on us? And if you've seen Mad About You, if you're alive when Mad About You was around, or if you've caught up with uh, with that series from the or you '90s, lived in South Africa. You know, got there ten years later. You know, you know exactly what I'm referring to there. Quite a, a left turn, and big surprise. But we'll see. I don't know. I don't know how many more seasons Blackish has left. If they're contracted to a certain one or two more seasons before their final season, they better have more, and they better not like take like one. Like if they have two seasons left, they better mm-hmm. not be like, oh well, we're gonna separate for one season and then we'll get back together halfway right. through the, the other season mm. that'll piss me off mm. because we've seen that before yeah. you know we don't need to see it again i want to see how you come back from hurting each other yeah so that yeah. i can learn something yeah yeah so it's a, it does a great series a lot of great solid episodes i think it's worth uh, checking out on hulu actually that's how we've been catching up with it so the other thing that you and i have seen together was interstellar Mm-hmm. Directed by Christopher Nolan, starring Matthew McConaughey, Anne Hathaway, Jessica Chastain, Michael Caine, John Lithgow. It turns out Timothy Chalamet from Call Me By Your Name last year was actually one of the sons. And oh, yes. Casey Affleck is in it as well. God, I keep forgetting. So pretty sizable cast. And, and uh, there's even a surprise cast member that you discover halfway through the film. Oh, yeah, yeah. I forgot that. That person's a surprise. Yeah, so for me, I'm going to speak really briefly on my thoughts about it. It's been four years since I last saw the film. I may have seen it maybe twice. Definitely only You did once. see it twice. Okay. Cinema and then when we boarded home. Okay, so it was. it's odd to me because I barely remember this movie. Barely remember this movie at all. And it's only been four years. So it was almost a new experience for me rewatching that movie. This is a fucking long ass movie. This is, it's oh, very long. It's what, two hours, 40 minutes or something? Yeah, it's not short at all. Yeah, and it kind of feels long. I don't know if there's a way that they could have tightened up the story, but it, there's, you know, there's not an exorbitant amount of stuff that happens in that two hours and 40 minutes. It just takes a long time for things to happen. And, I will say I think that still I think it's a really good movie. I think it's got a great score by Hans Zimmer. I think it's an absolutely it's one of his different ones. Yeah, it's absolutely beautiful film, wonderfully shot, and Matthew McConaughey gives a wonderful performance. I did have three issues with the film that kept it from being a great film Mm. and i will say one of it is this isn't really a spoiler but his daughter is upset because he left and because matthew mcconaughey's character left and i never bought that 
especially since it's a 23-year-old grudge that she ends up holding. Mm -hmm. And that didn't work for me. The whole surprise character halfway three-quarters through the movie ultimately doesn't quite work for me. Some choices he makes or could have made. And then the third act, the very end sequence, is so contrived. Like, it takes a huge leap that one character has to go from where she's at to the conclusion she makes in order for all of it to work. Mm. And all of that doesn't doesn't work for me. But most of the, for the most part, I still enjoy the movie. It's just not one of my favorite Christopher Nolan films. I think I've seen all of his movies except Following, which was his first film. And this is probably somewhere around Prestige and Insomnia for me. Maybe even Dark Knight Rises. I might enjoy that even better, even though that had a, a, a bad aftertaste in the end. Which is really... Uh, so it's really funny because Anne Hathaway and... Michael Caine. Michael Caine are in that movie, too. Yeah. <laughs> I thought that was funny. So what are your, what are your thoughts of Interstellar, uh, you know, four years later? How does it hold up for you? I thoroughly enjoy the film. I, I get something new out of it every time I watch it. Mm-hmm. This is a, a, a film about it's a possible future for Earth. Mm. I think, wait, what did we say? It takes place in like God. 2246, 2146, somewhere around there. I mean, it depends on what point in the movie you're talking about. And then it feels like by the time you're done with the movie, you're in the year 2246. Then what's happening is all the freedoms, all the jobs, all the careers that, you know, the choices that we have right now, they're all null and void because the planet is running out of food. Mm-hmm. And the they don't go into this. Very dusty. Yeah, they don't go into the soil is kind of broken, essentially, mm. for lack of a better word. It's lost all its nutrients, its mm-hmm. replenishing ability, blah, blah, blah. Like to the point where space doesn't even get talked about anymore in school. Oh, yeah. Like the textbooks have been rewritten. Yeah, as though it was and, all, a, all a, a fraud. And oh. you're lied oh. to. So the kids. Yeah. That's. That's a very small thing that we get to see, but wow, is that a cool topic that you could dive into about how you know federal textbooks can change. They can change it however they want. Yeah, um, I found it. I find it very infuriating how many people today actually feel like all the NASA missions are a hoax and, and everything, like the people do in this movie. Well, I guess you could play with that too. <laughs> if you want to be an engineer, you can't. Right. You have to be a farmer. Right. And that's that's it. That's yeah. the end of it. And it's a really interesting world because that's the only career you're allowed to have. Essentially, it's not like reinforced in any particular way. But moving on, you know, Matthew McConaughey has to go on this mission to find a planet that can be inhabitable. And through that, there's all these different little themes. Hmm that are happening but ultimately it's about a father-daughter connection yeah as i said there's something different to interpret every time and sometimes i'm more open to how matthew mcconaughey communicates and sometimes i'm not sometimes i'm okay with what actions he takes and sometimes i'm not Mm. and sometimes i'm okay with what his daughter does and sometimes i'm not Mm. there's maybe one nitpicky scene in particular at the end 
Is it the same as what as mine? No, oh. you have a problem with with a sort of faith leap. Well, I already explained that yeah. part, yeah. So, yeah, that's all I have to say about that. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's Interstellar by Christopher Nolan. Totally worth checking out. Uh, yeah, ultimately, as flawed as it is, yes, I would agree with that, if you can set aside the afternoon. All right, so that's... The afternoon. <laughs> it, or maybe the year. I don't know. It's a long-ass movie, It's guys. a very long movie. So that's everything for our Week in Review. Now it's time for the main event. Tully! Our review of... Tully! No, no, no! Do you know what a night nanny is? They take care of the baby at night so mom and dad can get some sleep. I don't want a stranger in my house. That's like a Lifetime movie where the nanny tries to kill the family and the mom survives and she has to walk with a cane at the end. Get over yourself. Hello. I'm Telly. I'm here to take care of you. I'm just not used to people doing things for me. I hold a baby all day, and then nighttime rolls around, and I'm supposed to just switch gears. Like, hello, I'm all sexy now. You're empty. Yeah. No, you're empty on this side. <gasps> Your 20s are great. But then your 30s come around the corner like a garbage truck at 5 a.m. Girls heal. No, we don't. We might look like we're all better, but if you look close, we're covered in concealer. You're convinced that you're this failure, but you actually made your biggest dream come true. If you want to run off or something, I get that. Because I want to do that too sometimes, but I'm not gonna. I'm here to help you with everything. You can't fix the parts without treating the whole. Yeah, no one's treated my whole in a really long time. <laughs> and that was from the trailer to Jason Reitman's new film, Tully, starring Charlize Tully's Theron, Ron. Ron Livingston, Mark Duplass, Mackenzie davis so whenever we review a film what we like to do is first focus on the good what we enjoyed about a movie then talking about the bad what issues we had with a film before moving into spoilers and final thoughts shanna this is jason reitman's sixth or seventh film and his third with screenwriter diablo cody and his second with Charlize Theron. How many of Jason Reitman's films have you seen? I think only two, including this one. What were those? Juno and Tully. Juno and Tully. Oh, wait, Young Adult, too. And Young so, Adult. Okay. Yeah. And I've seen everything except for Labor Day and Men, Women, and Children, which don't have as good a reputation as his other films. How did this film, for you, compare to his other work, especially since you have seen all the films written by Diablo Cody? Well, two out of the three films seem to be a perfect form of birth, natural birth control. <laughs> uh, 
I, I think that they make a good team. I, I think that I prefer Juno and then Tully. Um, not mm. so much Young Adult. Yeah, really? Yeah. It's interesting. I, I, I also wasn't a huge fan of Young Adult either. But Juno is really, really good. Mm. And I think Tully is really, really good too. What did you like about Tully? I really enjoyed the authentic portrayal of motherhood specifically. What do I mean by the authenticity in this film? Well, the baby finally goes to sleep and she's on her phone just trying to de-stress and she drops the phone on the baby. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the baby is Wakes awake up. again. Yeah. And it's like it all just starts all over again. And you know what they don't like make too obvious in this film, it's very like slight, uh, in the trailer, sorry, is that there's two other kids there. And uh. one kid has, you know, high sensory issues that require treatment, but they're unable to afford, I think it's a re- like a remedial teacher. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, that's a good, yeah. To, to help. Um, and they, they don't they don't have the funds to, to do that. Yeah, because they're left to hire the person themselves. It's not something that's No, you're talking about offered. a teacher aid. I'm talking about who they would have taken the child to to help with his sensory issues in particular. Oh, is that something that's talked about in the movie? Yeah. It's, oh. I, okay. I knew, I knew she said there. something about a therapist. But I also recognized it. So, because <clears throat> mm-hmm. um, I know a couple kids okay. that, have, that have those challenges. But it's very challenging. It doesn't mean the child is a bad child. It's just it's it's a different way of living that needs to be adapted. Mm. And if you don't have the tools available to you, uh, you're you're kind of in the deep end of the ocean. Mm. So, I thought that that was very interesting, and very good. A favorite scene is it's just been one of those days where everything that could have gone wrong went wrong mm-hmm. because there are days like that. And to top it all off. Like the child spills milk on his mom, mm-hmm. and Charlize Saran just takes the shirt off at the dinner table. Yeah, and is sitting there in her bra. <laughs> yeah, it's like she's. You know what? Fuck it, guys. Yeah, that's that's kind of what motherhood's like. Mm-hmm. You know. What else did you like about the movie? I really was fascinated with the depiction of afterbirth. How your physical, like physically, how your body is trying to catch up. Mm-hmm. How your body is not healing if you're not able to have time to yourself Hmm. but also the mental aftermath of birth that is fascinating and i can talk more about that in spoilers okay Um, it also gives a person like me who wants to have a baby gives me like this window to look through of like what could it possibly be like because i mean i know how to be with kids I know how to be with babies, but mm. I don't know what it's like if it was me personally going through this. Mm. Being a biological mother. It was very scary for me, actually, because mm. the scariest thing, like, okay, yeah, I know my body's going to be pretty much broken for a while. I understand that my mental health will totally be, like, declined. That's all expected. But what I didn't expect was the absolute and utter loneliness mm. that they show very well mm-hmm. in that film mm-hmm. and how painful and and unhealthy it actually is mm-hmm. so that i really like that depiction of something so difficult mm-hmm. i also liked how subtly and in a non-jerky way how they showed the stepping back of fathers how they just take a step back when the mother well is it's not even an active 
choice. And I think that's part of what you mean by it not being a jerky thing is he's not a- he's not actively trying to get to away. Get away. Right. Or he's not he's even not trying present. to disconnect. You know? Yeah, but he's also not present at the same time. It's like he's right. in this in-between. <clears throat> yeah. He's just checked out. And I have seen that in mm-hmm. fathers in varying degrees. And it makes me interested to see a film that specifically addresses that. Like, yeah. what causes that? What makes that happen? It's like what you were talking about. He just sleeps through everything and anything that possibly happens during the night. Well, why? Right, at night, yeah. Know? However, I wouldn't say he's completely checked out. I don't think that's a fair characterization because he is doing homework with the with the other two kids. He is helping make lunches and things. But he's, he is not helping with the baby. Yeah, that's a different thing. All. So I also enjoyed the little moments of judgment that people give you and advice that you never ask for. Mm. Uh, like she's in the coffee line and she does actually order some sort of caffeinated beverage. That's a decaf. It was a decaf? Yeah. Oh, well, it's not even caffeinated. (laughs) Right. Okay. Well, this other older woman looks at her and and gives her this fact of some kind, like, did you know, blah, blah, blah. Right. And the barista says, do you still want it? And Charlize says, yeah, because she's just had the day from hell. Yeah, there's not a lot of that stuff in the film, which is a little surprising. Well, then her in-laws judge her, too. And then they feel like they're being judged by her. So. Isn't it her brother? It's not her in laws. It's her brother. Oh, sorry. It's her brother. Yeah. Her husband's in laws. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, I enjoyed that. And and also the beating around the bush. Like, uh, your son is not a good fit for our school. Just. Oh, say yeah. That. With the, the, don't, the principal. Don't keep reiterating, oh, you're such a great family. We love you. Yeah. You, you, it's not your job. To love the families that go to your school. It's your job as a principal. Like, if you do, great. Cherry on the top. But (laughs) as a principal, you're supposed to say things directly. Mm. And you liked what happened? I I did. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Okay. And, you know, when they did make a move to a different school and he had a breakdown... And all of a sudden, there was a t- some sort of teacher figure came around the corner and helped yeah. calm things down. Yeah. It was like, okay, this is a good fit. And I've known families <clears throat> where their kids aren't good fits mm. in private school, but they're fantastic in a public school. Mm-hmm. So those are the things I liked that I enjoyed. I also enjoyed the cinematography. Hmm. It was very interesting at times. What are some examples of that? Well, when Tully arrives... Well, she's been there for a while. When Tully has been there for a while. To to clarify, the character Tully is a night nanny who comes in and takes care of the baby to give the the parents, supposedly both parents, so a, a rest <laughs> uh, yeah. and, and, and to be able to take care of themselves. So at one point when they are both sitting at the kitchen table, there's this interesting thing happening with the light. Mm-hmm. It's the straighty, you know cheap-ass tungsten light you know it's still got a tungsten bulb and it's very yellow on half of their faces like from their eyes up to their forehead okay but then it's really blue uh, you know from the eyes below okay and it's very subtle but at the same time it's it's so gorgeous if you're paying attention you'll find little gems like that Hmm. okay yeah i guess i also like the fact that charlie's had weight 
Like she wasn't just a thin person. Like she sure. looked like. She looked like someone who. Like. Yeah, she looked like someone who. Just at one point. She looked like someone who at one point in her life was an absolute knockout that turned heads from across the room and she just feels now completely tired and just drained by motherhood and she just hasn't have any energy or time for herself to make her feel good and, and all that sort of stuff. You know, and as a result she has you know, shown physically as as well too which i appreciated that as well the other things i appreciated in the film were i think first and foremost the script Mm. toward the last 10 minutes of the movie i couldn't figure out for a moment i was like is this movie a really good movie because of the script or is it because of jason anything jason reitman's done and I actually came down on it being Diablo, Diablo Cody's writing that makes it such a, a well-told story. Yes, you also have Charlize Theron, who is, I will go ahead and say it, one of the best actors we have working today. She is great in this film. And that shouldn't come as really a surprise to anyone. But she depicts very well that motherhood sometimes isn't all that joyous you don't find joy in all the day-to-day realities of motherhood and it can be very taxing it can be very stressful it can be too much there is a really great moment that that's early on in the film i really appreciated where she just has too much crap going on in the car with her two kids. Yeah, this is before the third one arrives. One kid is screaming, and another is kicking her chair, and uh, and then he's also yelling because he doesn't agree with what she's doing and, you know, what parking lot she's going to or whatever. And she eventually is flipping out, and then it suddenly cuts to outside the car, and, you know, it's kind of a long shot of Mm -hmm. the car, Mm -hmm. and you just see this car sitting in the parking lot with a, a blinker going. And it's just like this complete perspective shift because you you realize, yeah, like sometimes when, as the parent, you're in it and it's really hard to like disconnect yourself and, from like the shit that's happening. <laughs> you know, when you look at it from an outsider perspective, all you see is a car. Yeah, that's all you see. So you don't know. You do not know the storm that is happening inside. So in addition to those things, you know, the other things I think worth noting that I really liked about the film, aside from a twist that happens in the in the last ten minutes or so of the yeah, film, yeah, I like that too. That reframes a lot and makes really what the film's all about kind of come to light is Mackenzie Davis and her performance. Uh, I think she's she's an actress on the rise. Pretty soon, she's going to be a household name, I think. And this this film totally is another check mark on her list of successes and and kind of getting to that point mm. she's really she's really good in this film full of warmth but also freedom and and carefreeness but also uh she's really good at what she's doing mm-hmm. 
so she's fantastic. I really like her. If you're not familiar with her, she was in The Martian and Blade Runner 2049. And she's been in a few other things, but I think those two are the most notable, uh, along with now Tully. And then, in addition to all that, just the different nuances and different aspects of motherhood and that you don't see in films typically, mm-hmm. I think is really where a lot of the strength of the script comes through. So... Yeah, I was very impressed with with this film. But, Shanna, was there anything you didn't like about the movie at all? There was uh, one part that I didn't like. You know, that her brother and sister-in-law, you know, they, they want to help. Yeah, that's Mark Duplass, and I don't know the wife's name. So they want to help, but they're so incredibly different from... Charlize Theron's family. Mm-hmm. Yes, because they're wealthy. They're incredibly abundant financially. Yeah, I mean, it's like the households are just night and day. They have hired a nanny that has a master's. A master's. Right. Early education. It's a bit, right. a bit right. much, I think. Yeah. Let that girl go work somewhere else. <laughs> Although they must be paying her pretty decent. They probably are, yeah, um, yeah. Because they probably wanted a level of education like that. Right. But... It's just there's such a huge difference between the two. So the thing is, you know, it's not all about money, but when money is so different between families, Mm -hmm. your challenges and your issues and your problems and your priorities are going to be completely different Mm. from each other. Right, right. And the way, the things you see value in, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. So ultimately, what I'm getting at is the brother offers to you know, Charlize, hey, we want to give you a service for a month Mm. of a night nanny. She comes highly recommended. You never hear her name. You never see the piece of paper, like... Oh, yeah, You never see the name written there. You just, he hands her a post-it note. Yeah, uh Essentially that he folds in half. Yeah. Which isn't the best. Like, stationery-wise, I'm stationery queen. That's not a good move. But they don't follow up. She's gotten in contact with this person... You know, it seems, and, you know, now she's getting this help that she needed, and, you know, she thinks the service is great. When her husband says to her brother, oh, you know, we're just, you know, that's been great. All they say is, oh, yeah, she comes highly recommended. Uh-huh. That's that's all we hear. There's no follow-up, and the husband You're does, talking about questions, further questions. Yeah, there's no further okay. questions, and there's no further identifiers, and okay. I, didn't, I didn't like that. That's not how it works when you hire a nanny of any kind. It, Reality check, guys. There's a reason, though, in this movie why that's the case. And if it didn't have, if it went the way you're talking about, the movie would would fall apart. (laughs) But I'm just saying, I didn't like that there was no follow up because that's not what you do. So please take from this movie that that's not what you do. (laughs) You follow up with everyone. I don't really have any major quibbles with this movie, but a couple minor ones is. The kids really, like, irritated me a little bit. Not that the actors were terrible or anything. It's the characters themselves. I don't think I'd be able to stand hanging out with those kids for 24 hours. One, because the the son has his emotional issues, whatever the fuck they are. It's over-sensitization to the over-stimulating world we live in today. Okay. I mean, this is a kid who's, like, constantly kicking the seat and everything. Which, by the way, if I have that issue, 
I'm going to be like, fine, you're going to be sitting in a different seat. You're not kicking me anymore, you know? And you can kick all the way to school because it's a passenger seat. Yeah, create yeah. like a board or something that can Some that can hang from the seat for him to kick or, or whatever. Because that boy looked like he was trying to punch his foot through the seat for crying out loud. But that's what they all try to do. Mm. That's every kid. Mm. I'm just saying. And then the, the daughter was mildly irritating to me. I mean, the scene that you keep quoting where the son spills milk on her, by the way, has no care in the world about that. Um, just like, oh, sorry, Mom. The daughter, after Charlie Stone takes off her shirt, the daughter's like, what happened to your body? And what's such a, wrong with your body? Yeah, what's wrong with your body? In yeah. such a judgmental, like irritating way and it was like that on top of everything else that happens in that scene you know you also have my husband coming and going like hey what's going on guys you know and he and, doesn't step in with initiative to help right that right pissed me off so much i think i said oh my god yeah. oh my god like six times yeah. in the film <laughs> i was like oh my god yeah absolutely absolutely those are, those are like little minor not really flaws of the movie i would say but just the whole things that like ah kind of irritated me i yeah i mean I, th- I do think like let's we'll let's move on to the one aspect of the movie that is a spoiler in a second here but i do think it does put into question how well retroactively everything works on a practical level when you know what the twist is to the film mm-hmm. but let's move ahead then and unless you had any other general thoughts about the no, film no more general okay I will say, we always forget, let's give our general uh, thoughts. The, the the good does outweigh the, the bad, yeah? Yes, I think that, uh, yeah. I mean, there's. I don't think there's really much bad, really. Yeah. I think everyone should go watch this. I think if you have a teenage daughter, take her too so she gets pissed scared of getting pregnant. That's right. <laughs> this is how lonely you will be if right. you get pregnant before the time. Right. And this is, you know, if you have a son, this is how stupid you will seem. If you have a kid before the time without understanding everything. So, I nope. think... One of the best movies of the year so far? I think so. Yeah. I think it's really... It's one of the best authentic films of the year so far. Yeah, and probably Reitman's third or fourth uh, best film in my estimation of his career so far. So, uh, definitely worth seeking out. If you haven't seen the movie yet, then skip ahead to film faves. We're going to talk about spoilers for Tully now all right shanna so there is a car accident that happens near the end of the film and the car that she's driving in because she's driving home late at night she's tired she falls asleep at the wheel she's drunk the she's a little drunk but most importantly she's tired and she falls asleep car goes into the river or something right Mm -hmm. and we start to get the sense that something's a little weird because apparently Tolly, who was in the car with her, uh, she got out of the car, but she's swimming to Marlo, I believe her name is, Charlie Stone's character, as like a mermaid, right? Which she had been dreaming about a couple uh, times. From the moment her water broke. Yeah, yeah, that's an interesting connection there. So we learn through an offhanded comment when Charlize is in the when Marlo is in the hospital that her maiden name is Tolly. Yeah. And it becomes revealed that Tolly never actually existed at all. 
that she is actually a manifestation of Marlo's younger self. Yeah. That she is interacting with as this late 30s, early 40s year old woman. So let's talk about that. First of all, what were your thoughts about that and what did it mean to you? I thoroughly enjoyed that aspect of the film. I thought it was very clever. I started feeling like when, you know, Tully was in the bar and said, okay, I got to tell you, you know, before you tell me why your life went so wrong, I need to tell you something first. I have to leave. I felt something was off because it just felt weird Mm. to me in a good way. It was like, this mystery like well you guys haven't spoken about that sex scene yeah so obviously that's not an issue i thought that was actually the source of like her falling in love or something and she's like i can't work for you anymore because i need i need to get out of here because i've fallen in love with you and it's not professional or whatever no she would have said it sooner that's why i knew Mm, it wasn't that okay um and then she she doesn't say that you know at all so i like that representation because sometimes if i'm trying to heal myself during a meditation or whatever, I actually see a representation of, like, my seven-year-old self. Oh, okay. You know, before certain things in my life happened, you know, certain pivotal moments. Yeah, okay. And it's it's a very healing, it can be a very healing exercise. Now, obviously, this is is not what it is. Right, right. (laughs) Yeah, but it does kind of help hard reset her, you know? Like, she has to get out of the house and, and... get out and get drunk and see her old world right where she used to live and all that sort of stuff and you know it wasn't a harmful person you know it wasn't like a harmful nanny you know so coming back that's why i'm pissed at the in-law that the brother didn't ask any follow-up questions right because it's apparent apparently uh, marlo never actually called who was referred and and therefore never actually hired night nanny yeah right yeah so you're kind of frustrated because you would think they'd be like well we haven't gotten a bill or we haven't heard of anything about this person working for you or you know i didn't yeah that's weird too i didn't even think about the financial of it right right so anyway i really liked the creative route that they went with that so in addition to the things i already spoke about with this twist I thought it was really interesting way to show a few different things. One... Yes, it's not just one thing. You're right. Right. It, it shows how important it is to have some sort of a support system that gives you the break as a, as a mother or as a, a parent or what have you that allows you to be more present, allows you to be more energetic, allows you to be able to interact with your kids. Allows you to look after yourself. Yes. Take a shower. Absolutely. Because it is kind of night and day when, quote-unquote, Tully is there, all of a sudden, Marlo has energy. Marlo is playing with the kids. Marlo's outside kicking around a ball. Uh, Marlo is doing a, a lot of things... She's able, she's not stressed anymore. She's able to... Take a step back and thank the principal. And apologize to the principal because she did, in a very real scene, tell off the principal, too. That was great. 
And, you know, and, and, you know, she just had enough. She was all, all overstressed and everything, right? So it's kind of night and day. And I think it really it shows well how, like, important it is to have some sort of a support system. Otherwise, you know, you can, in worst case scenario, lead to a mental break. Mm. So there's that. I think there's something deeper going on, though, that the movie's really about with regards to it being a, a movie about a middle-aged woman because she is just about middle-aged who's a mom and and having her third child manifesting and and interacting with and talking to her 26 year old self who's there to help her who's supposedly there to help her right yeah yeah what are your thoughts about that and what the movie is trying to say i think it's so great to show this is the loneliness I was talking about. Yeah. That's terrifying to me, personally. I, I don't know. I haven't gone through that myself yet. Mm-hmm. I'm curious to know how women who have bared children, I'm curious to see what they think. Yeah. But what a beautiful way to, and real, and grab your attention way to show, motherfucker, you guys all better pitch in, and you all better pitch in now, because... You know, this this whole silence of motherhood where you are the only one that can help your kid. Yeah, like um, a silent suffering. Is, it's it's not it's not true. It doesn't have to be like that anymore. And men come and step up or other partner, yeah. doesn't matter what, you know, gender you are, step up. Right, right. Like even if mommy is saying, Oh, she's fine and do you have tits because you can't feed the child if you're mm. you know and, and don't use that excuse either, please, for the love of God. It's, it's, it's a great awakening to mm-hmm. how motherhood can be now. And it's also great that they touched on, you know, don't judge people for that who are getting help. Yeah. And if you cannot financially afford help, get someone in there. I don't care who it is. Yeah, you know? yeah. Partner step up, mom come visit, whatever. Absolutely. The only other aspect of this that I would, I think is worth discussing is, does it work? In hindsight, you know, it's the whole sixth sense thing, you know, when you, if you're to look back at the movie, does it all work? Does it all hold together? Does it manifestation? Knowing that uh, Tully is a manifestation, Tully isn't real, Mm. does the film hold together? I think the story works and the message is still clear. Mm Mm-hmm. And I'm not, I'm not, I'm not sure. I almost feel like I have to watch it a second time to, to watch it. As Tully being our, uh, a manifestation to see if all the practicalities of everything we see actually makes sense and works. You know, there are a few conveniences that have to happen in order for this to work. Like the, like the husband, Ron Livingston, being, uh, he, not even taking the initiative and wanting to go downstairs to meet the night nanny. You God, know. that irritated me. Right? I know it's like you said earlier, oh, well, you, it, the film wouldn't be what it is. But right, right. How do you not show interest mm-hmm. and then have the cheek to say to her, to Charlize later as she's about to lay down and she hears the baby on the baby monitor mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and the dad's like, is Mia okay? Mm-hmm. You know, Charlize says, yeah. And he just goes, okay. Mm-hmm. And he starts playing his video games. Oh, again. I know what you mean. Oh, God, yeah, I wanted yeah, to yeah. hit him. Yeah, so there's, I feel like there might be some conveniences like that that are necessary for the film to work that I'm not sure hold up really well. But I think, like, 
the the, uh, the conversation with the brother also is a, an example of that as well. But yeah, I don't know. I think I would I would have to rewatch it again to see how tight and how well constructed that aspect of the film, uh, how, that aspect of the script, is uh, is executed. And that's the only that's the only quandary uh, for me. But otherwise, I think we can agree this film is doing something that's definitely new in some ways, fresh in some ways, and absolutely valid and important. And valuable. Yeah, absolutely. Is there anything else you have to say about Tully? I guess not at this stage. I feel like the film still holds up. Yeah. Without, like if you had to think Tully wasn't there. Yeah. And it would just be, it would just be interpreted a little differently. You'd be like, oh, well, that must have been sleep exhaustion making cupcakes. Uh-huh. Because she makes cupcakes, right, yeah. You know, so I think it works either way and it gets the message across. And I think everybody should see this, especially before getting pregnant, just so <laughs> that you're aware, hey, yeah. here's one of the avenues that you might have to address. Yeah, I think this might be even a good mother-daughter movie to yeah, see, too. Especially if the, particularly, I should say, the daughter is teens and up. I think this might be rated R, particularly teens and up, as a way for daughters to appreciate <laughs> their, their moms. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's like in Bad Moms too, when there's that like counseling moment, and she, uh, Kristen Bell is like, "Why is my mom like this?" And Wanda Sykes is like, "Because you broke her. Mm. Mommy didn't get enough sleep because you wouldn't stop crying." And yeah, absolutely right. That's that. That's you this broke movie. Your mother. This is that what perspective it is. <laughs> is what this movie is. Yeah. Like you didn't mean to. It's just part of being human. Yeah. Um, but you broke your mother. Yeah. It's a very good depiction. So I'd give this movie a seven out of ten. I'd probably go eight. Awesome. So that's Tully. Uh, what are your thoughts on the film? Email us at thegibsonreview at gmail Now it's time for film faves. Film Faves is a segment inspired by an article from the Gibson Review blog where I would count down my 12 favorite movies around a particular topic, usually marching backward through time. Why 12? Well, because rather than having a list of 10 and a couple honorable mentions, just made the honorable mentions a part of the list and be done with it. So you have a dozen movies and why we do this in this podcast is not only to give you an idea of our taste in film, but also to help hopefully expose you to movies you've never seen before. So to that end, what we try to do is point you in the direction of where you can stream some of these films, particularly towards HBO, Netflix, Amazon Prime, and Hulu. Okay, so here's the thing. This is at this episode we're entering a new decade. It's the 90s. So, this episode is about 1999. Shanna, how well do you remember 1999? I think my mom got me a t-shirt that had a countdown clock on it mm-hmm. for the year 2000. Oh god. Oh god, it was really fun cuz it was purchased 2 months ahead of time too. Oh wow. Uh, and it was like the clock attached to the shirt with Falker and the shirt was printed till Y2K. Right, Y2K, so, yeah. yeah. There, so that was I remember that. That's interesting cuz there's even movies that came out that preyed upon 
people's fear of Y2K, like End of Days, which starred Arnold Schwarzenegger, where he basically had to fight a demon. And, um, <laughs> yeah, and I think Stigmata might have come out that same year, too. When I think there's some sort of religious cult that's that lives nearby where, where I lived, and they sold all their things, mm. and... I don't know what happened next. <laughs> I don't know what happened to them. Huh. Like nothing harsh happened to them, but I think they were just without their belongings because they thought that that was going to be the end of the world, I guess. Okay. So that, that was interesting. There was an article in the paper about that. Well, 1999 is when I graduated high school. And do you know what the number one film of that year was? Yeah, it, I can't remember. It was Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom Menace. Which almost earned a billion dollars worldwide. And it was the most anticipated film of that year. The trailer alone practically broke the internet. People were flipping out when the trailer it came broke out. The it was huge. But I don't think you'll see that film on my list. And of course, the awards at that time included such movies. As American Beauty, Boys Don't Cry, Cider House Rules, Tarzan, All About My Mother, uh, those kinds of things. Shanna, how did you go about making your list of 1999, and what is your number 12? I believe I went ahead making it according to just what I enjoy the most. Uh There were some really, really entertaining films in this year, and then some really, you know, Academy-worthy films. This is one of the best years of that decade yeah a lot of things to leave on the table yeah so i'm gonna start mine however with double jeopardy ashley judd discovers that things are not as they appear to be Hmm. and the film starts off in seattle i think more on the vashon island side of things or or bainbridge it's one of the islands so pick one (laughs) and then it ends up in Oh, what is that fancy place? Um, What's that fancy place? It's the fancy place, New Orleans. <laughs> oh, so, <laughs> okay. So it ends. It, it, it ends there. And Would be island, according to Wik- oh, Wikipedia. By okay, the way. so yeah, the nice one. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, you see a little, a few Seattle, Washington, Pacific Northwest things like the ferries and mm. the mountains, the trees, the lovely homes. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, I really enjoy Ashley Judd, and I like this film. It's a fun crime film for me. Well, as I said, there's a lot of films that I had to leave on the table that either I really enjoy the time or would really like to revisit, like Go, for example, Big Daddy, uh, Cider House Rules, Blast from the Past. My mother loves that film. A lot of fun movies. But what I landed on for my number 12 was The Straight Story, Starring Richard Farnsworth. Uh, Now, this is interesting. We have a Disney movie, of course based on true events, directed by David Lynch, the guy behind Blue Velvet and Twin Peaks. I know, guys. I know. I know who we should hire for this project. The guy who did Twin Peaks. (laughs) Yeah. About a guy, an old man, who traveled a certain great distance on his tractor to get to his dying brother. Just a very simple, lovely, beautiful story by David Lynch. 
no, like, little odd. In, yeah, no, no, no. None of that. No, no. It's 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 very so straightforward. Interesting. Yeah, it's a very straightforward but beautiful uh, story. Richard Farnsworth in one of his final roles, if not his final role, uh, gives a, 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 a nice, lovely, touching performance. It's a very sweet film. It's one of those that I do want to revisit because it's been a long time since I have seen it. Well, but I have never seen it, so count me in. Yeah, it's definitely worth seeking out. That's The Straight Story, and that's my number 12. My number 11 is Being John Malkovich. A portal into John Malkovich's mind is discovered, and a scheme is hatched. A bizarre cult film, and it doesn't it's not one that uh, you should multitask to no just by the way you should be paying attention every yes, step of the way definitely um, it's very humorous it's very odd it's very weird it's so beautifully weird it is that my number 11 is paul thomas anderson's magnolia this is almost a great film i think the reason why I say almost is because while the main story is really, really good and how it weaves this tapestry of all these different characters with this huge cast that includes Julianne Moore and Tom Cruise and Philip Seymour Hoffman and Philip Baker Hall and William H. Macy, it's never quite as good as the first 10 minutes that set the stage oh, for the whole film, right. which is brilliant. And I think it's narrated by Ricky Jay, who is a magician that was also in a couple of Paul Thomas, Thomas Anderson's uh, movies. And it's all about chance. It's all about how coincidental all these different fates can happen. And and it's it just it's a wonderfully constructed piece of work, just those mm-hmm. 10 minutes alone. Uh, when I did a article several years back uh, called Remember That Movie, which looked at older films, I revisited this film, and those 10 minutes are some of the best filmmaking in all of PTA's career. And, and that, that's why the film made it to my list and the only reason why it's so low on my list is because the rest of the film doesn't quite measure up to that but it is a really good film with a fantastic cast and it also has a really great tracking shot right after those 10 minutes too that introduces all the characters i love it it's fantastic great filmmaking my number 10 is the matrix with keanu reeves Lawrence fishburne carrie ann moss what is the matrix a uh, fight for humanity and freedom is essentially what it is. This was uh, one of the first films in high school that we did film study on in English class. Hmm. And uh, we had a really great English teacher, and she was really into films. For the first half of the year, we got to study films in this really interesting way, which was totally my language, was movies. Mm-hmm. And I finally got to learn how to translate what I was viewing in film into, you know, everyday life Mm. and how films can be and how they can be interpreted. And yeah, that was a, that was a great teacher. And that's interesting because I think you were entering high school shortly after the sequels 
were released too. Well, so yeah, and this were... was in 11th grade is oh, when yeah. we studied it. Fascinating. Yeah. Wow. But otherwise, I think I was just a little twiddly 13-year-old. Gotcha. Something like that. Or 12. I don't know. Right on. My number 10 is Galaxy Quest with Sigourney oh, Reaver. What? I forgot yep. about it. Oh, my gosh. How did you forget? Yeah, you got Sigourney Reaver, uh, Tim Allen, Tony Shalhoub, and Sam Rockwell and Alan Rickman also star in it. It's a great parody of sorts of Star Trek, or at least a Star Trek series, and it imagines what if that cast was actually transported to a mission in space to try to save another alien race. And it's it's a hilarious film. The cast does a, a great job. This is probably one of Tim Allen's best films, if not his best yeah, film, hands down. I agree. And in, this is in a decade when he was doing some pretty lame stuff, like Man of the House, I think it was, and Jungle to Jungle. Oh, um, God. You know, yeah. some really lame Disney stuff. But this is a hilarious uh, movie for sure. And it's so well executed in its satire, but also being a adventure story in its own right. I think Tony Sh- is. Do you say Shalhoub? Yeah, is my favorite character in that. Not yeah. because you know I love him in Monk, but just he's so happy to be there. Yeah, and he's just he like riding the rod, and he's like, "Yeah, guys, so here's the thing." <laughs> yeah, well, that's actually more Monk verbiage but it's just so cool to see him so relaxed and well and and enrico uh, colantoni and missy pyle as two of the aliens are really hilarious missy pyle is the one that actually like has some sort of flirtation with tony shalhoub they're great i forgot about daryl mitchell who's hilarious he was the child actor in the series Gee, I wonder who you know who we're talking about there in reference. He's he's awesome. He's awesome. <laughs> so yeah, Galaxy Quest. That's uh, one of my favorites, and my number ten. My number nine is Fight Club, starring Edward Norton and Brad Pitt. Also has Helena Bonham Carter. Norton is depressed, and Pitt changes that, and a group is started where men come together and they make. Shh. A- you're not supposed to talk about it. Oh, jeez, you gave me such a fright. <laughs> There's the psychology of that film. It's like so ingrained into you, <laughs> even if you're not in it. <laughs> so it's a really great film with an awesome twist, which I totally foresaw. That's a David Fincher film, too, oh, well, actually. Yeah. He have, uh, you made a, a couple great films in the 90s, like Seven. So, oh, that totally explains the cinematography, too. I'm really glad that ended up on your list. That that did fall short um, of making it onto mine. So I'm glad it's represented here. For me, my number nine is Notting Hill. I love you, but I hate that film so much. Starring, of course, Hugh oh, Grant God. and Julia Roberts. Hugh Grant is the, you know, everyman British guy who mm-hmm. happens to, to meet julia roberts who plays essentially a cypher for julia roberts who's a huge actress who's a star at that time right and they fall in love they and i you know one thing leads to another this is a completely charming film it's you know it's from the same director as love actually i believe uh, richard curtis 
and it's absolutely charming. And Hugh Grant is charming and bumbly and and just really funny. Uh, and you mean his normal self? Yeah, that's what's great about it. And his typecast self. You have Reese Fawns as this hilarious and odd roommate or flatmate. Okay, yeah. I liked him. Yeah. He's the only thing I liked about that film. Oh, come on. But yeah, I, I, I've, we watched this movie a couple times in recent years. Just kind of curious how it holds up. And it does. It holds up really well. It's very charming and lovely. And it's one of my favorite romantic comedies. That's Nodding Hill. My number eight is South Park. So much fucking fun. Bigger, longer, and uncut, to be exact. I wasn't a huge fan of the show just because it was was late and I had a bedtime at that time of my life. But but a couple episodes that I did get to see, I thought it was fascinating that they were making, people were making animation for adults. I wasn't familiar with the concept. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. But we got to go see it at the cinema. My dad took me and a friend and my brother... What? Which I was pissed about because I thought this could be something that just I get to do. You're um, like 12 when that movie came out. It was only rated 13. Oh, wow. Yeah, wow. Maybe 10. Wow. Yeah, South Africa is very, like, lenient. There's literally dicks shown in that movie. Oh, all sorts of and things. And a lot of anal sex is talked about in that movie. So here's the thing. When this became available on DVD, I don't know how we got it. I don't know what happened. I don't know if... Jared just went and bought it. I don't know if I bought it. I don't know if my parents got it for us. I don't remember what happened. But Jared watched that damn thing on repeat for like three months. And we came from a, you know, we come from a swearing family, you know, so like the swearing wasn't a big deal. But yeah, as you get older and you look at it again, there's a whole lot of other shit going on. (laughs) The story is about, you know, obviously third graders who learn to swear and swear openly and the parents blame the canadian show terence and philip it gets completely out of hand the blaming that is and it's you could take it as a story of censorship totally you know so very much gone way too freaking far yeah so but it's really funny too it's a middle finger to the parenting groups yeah I will briefly say that was a movie I was way off on. I saw it. I was 18 when it came out. I saw it, and I thought, there's no fucking way the critics are going to like this movie because, damn, the stuff that happens in this thing. (laughs) It's really right. No, the critics love this movie. It's considered one of the best political satires. Mm -hmm. It's, 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 It's kind of got like a cult classic status to it. It is actually a, a, a damn good animated film. Uh, so that's, it didn't quite make my list, but that is a really good pick. My number eight is Being John Malkovich. Oh, how fun. Which I do feel like in a year full of great films, great films that didn't even necessarily get recognized, this is one of the best. Because it's so fucking imaginative and weird. You know, I mean, how bizarre is is the concept of finding a door that takes you into a a tunnel that leads to seeing outside an actor's eyes and being able, if you spend enough time, to take over that actor and his personality. Can we go watch that film now? (laughs) 
We do have a Criterion Collection edition of that. If you haven't, if you haven't seen it in a little while, you can find a Criterion edition of it, which is pretty awesome. But this is a brilliant film. It's so odd. It's by Spike Jones, written by Charlie Kaufman, which is a great combination. You have Cameron Diaz in one of her best performances, and not everybody would recognize her in. Joan Cusack in one of his best performances. John Malkovich, who is totally game for this premise, and it's, it's surprisingly to the extent that he is. It's a very odd film. You have Catherine Keener, probably my my introduction to Catherine Keener, who at the time was doing like uh, Nicole Hall Center films and was just starting to break out. But yeah, a brilliant, bizarre, great film, and it should have been recognized as such that year. And it's my number eight. My number seven is Sixth Sense. Mm. Uh, Haley Joel Osmond is a child haunted by ghosts, and Bruce Willis is his psychologist. Best to go in cold with this one. This will probably be the next movie that we do with Logan. Hmm. Right? Well, it's a PG-13 ghost story. Yeah. You know, so there's some horror elements. You see, you see these people who are dead, and you see how they died, essentially, depicted by how they appear. Oh, that's true. Maybe we're not doing that with Logan yet. Right. Um, that's like, right. Like remember, a year from now. Remember the scene with Misha Barton suddenly appearing and she's vomiting up blood? Oh, Misha Barton. Yeah. Well, yeah. yeah. Oh, well. So, um... Really good film, though. Has some lovely twists. It's a, it's a classic. My number seven is also The Sixth Sense. Oh. Surprisingly well, enough. <laughs> so this is actually one of the few great films of that year that have stood the test of time mm. that actually was recognized. And one of uh, it, was, it was interesting at the time because it was also... One of the few horror films in the history of Oscars to be recognized as well. It was nominated for Best Picture. Mm. It probably got a screenwriting nomination too. And it's well deserved. It is, I think, M. Night Shyamalan's high watermark. I don't think he's ever climbed back to that that level. Not even Unbreakable? Unbreakable was just a notch below the, the greatness the of Sixth uh, split, splits coming out of a deep, deep, dark hole of quality <laughs> that that Shyamalan okay. slid okay. down. I mean, this was he was subterranean. That's how Jesus bad his Jeff. his quality was. Okay, but where does Split fall? Um, Split's probably. I mean, it's better than The Village. It's better than Signs. So it's up in his top three to five films. Okay, All yeah, right. it's, it's a good question. But anyway, be that as it may, Sixth Sense is a movie that works. Works in hindsight. Bruce Willis is great. Stepping out of his comfort zone. Haley Joel Osment was never better than in this film. That's true. Uh, Tony Collette stars in this film. Yeah, it's a classic. It's a great film. And the better, the less said, the better. Right? And you can find it on Netflix. And for sensitive viewers, I mean, this is, I feel like this is the same as the others. It's not totally and utterly terrifying. It's just enough. But number six is Magnolia, my favorite oh, really? Paul Thomas Anderson film. No way. I didn't yeah. know that. Yeah, it is. Well, you know, you've already spoken about this again, uh, ladies and gentlemen and others. It's not a film to multitask to. No, um, not really. Even though it's like three hours long. 
Yeah, I tried doing that once, and you you just you get lost,、mm. especially if you've seen it before, because then you're like, oh, did this happen yet? Did did that happen yet?、Mm. Oh, and then an hour later you're like, oh, but I thought that happened already. <laughs> so it's beautifully complex with all the different characters and how they all come together. There's there's something for just about everyone to relate to in this film. It at times is horribly uncomfortable, and at times it's just completely wonderful. And the music by Amy Mann in that movie—I didn't speak to that before. Amy Mann. So good, and when that that scene when they all sing that song, "Save Me," so good. Oh man. My number six is *The Iron Giant*, which you can find on Netflix. Perhaps the best animated film of the year. Coming out of nowhere. Oh, that's mine too. That's your number. S- that's my number five. Oh wow. Okay. So、uh, let me speak briefly. This is Warner Brothers Animation. Warner Brothers Animation was not known for top-tier quality animated films. I mean, really. And it, it, I don't know if it still is. Really, I don't know if there's another movie、uh, animated film that Warner Brothers has come out with that's as good as The Iron Giant. And honestly, Iron Giant wasn't even that successful at the time. It's the sort、that、of thing. There was bad marketing around that. Was, there was bad marketing. And I think it was very brief marketing leading up to it as well, so no one even knew really much, if at all, that it came I out. I hope that marketing person got fired. Right, Brad Bird, by the way, directed the film. He would go on to do The Incredibles and I, I think a couple other Pixar films, and and he oh he did Mission Impossible: Ghost Protocol, which was fantastic. But this is kind of where it starts. Is Iron Giant, which is this beautiful tale. Vin Diesel voices the the Iron Giant pre Groot. Days. And he's he's great in it. This is probably the first like legit Vin Diesel thing thing that he did, and it's a wonderful Cold War era tale, and it's very touching. It's about friendship and so much more. What did you like about the Iron Giant? Why is it on your list? I love the story. I thought that the story was really unique and special, and it addresses certain things like you have a choice. You don't have to do what you're programmed to do. You don't have to do what you think you have to do, you know, without really considering the consequences、uh, and who you want to be.、Mm. So, oh, just so good at that. And also, there's really wonderful comical moments where, you know, he has a kid that that doesn't seem to. His mom is working. His his dad passed away, I believe.、Mm. So he's alone a lot and. You know he's looking for someone、uh, to connect with, and so he connects with this artist、uh, who owns a dump ground. And I think the artist gives him coffee, or no, he gives him espresso. Yeah, played by Harry Connick Jr. Yeah, he insists on having espresso because he's hip. Yeah, yeah.、Uh, quoting him, and then he he starts talking at a rapid rate and. I chat with my parents regularly, and sometimes it's when I have like Dutch Brothers coffee, and apparently that's what happens to me. So I, I think that there's a lot of fun moments in the film.、Mm. Also, when the Iron Giant decides to jump into a pool,、mm-hmm. like does a a bomb. Yeah, yeah, a yeah. Dive bomb. Yeah. And the water just goes everywhere. Right. It's just this huge flood. Yeah. Very comical. So you can find that film, The Iron Giant, on Netflix. My number five is Austin Powers' The Spy Who Shagged Me, which you can find now on HBO. Now, just about the funniest movie 
I had seen that year. I was on the floor laughing at certain moments in this film. I actually like it more than the first Austin Powers movie, which a lot of people probably think is a better film. But the only thing I didn't like about The Spy Who Shagged Me, I think, is it did introduce Fat Bastard, who is really kind of... Yeah. Not the highest brow comedy. It worked for an 18-year-old, but I, it wasn't my favorite part of the movie. Everything else, like the 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 scene when they're when Heather Graham and Austin have landed on Doctor Evil's island and they build this little tent and they're going through the bag and these soldiers see the silhouette of Austin Powers bending over looking at something and she's pulling out things out of the bag but silhouetted in such a way that it looks like he's she's pulling all this shit out of his ass it's hilarious <laughs> just killed me it's so funny it also introduced us to mini me who played by Vern Troyer rest in peace he recently passed away unfortunately very surprisingly but he's just hilarious. He crushes that role. Seth Green plays off of him so well. God, I miss Hol- Seth Green. I know, right? He's hilarious in this film, too. <laughs> and there's a lot to love about this movie. It is fucking hilarious. What's your number four? My number four is 10 Things I Hate About You. A lovely cast like Heath Ledger, Julia Stiles, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, Dan Aykroyd. It's about two sisters of entirely different interests. And played by played by Julia Stiles and what is her name? Larissa Olenek, right? Yeah. And Dan Aykroyd is their incredibly protective, smart dad. Mm. The rule is Bianca can date when Kat has a boyfriend. And you know, this sweet father knows that Kat is not interested in having a significant other in any shape or form. So he thinks he's very smart and I give it up for him. Like, I'm like, you are so great for coming up with that rule. It's very clever. It, it required very little energy from you. <laughs> you know, you didn't have to stress as a parent. So the games begin. It's also not as dramatic as other teen dramas or co- comedies. It's just like a little bit of drama. Plus it, it happens in Seattle, more or less. A little bit in Tacoma, but mostly Seattle. Well, it takes place in Seattle. It's shot in the area, yeah. Well, it's it's shot in Seattle as well. Yeah. What's really fun is if anyone is familiar with Seattle, they go to Cary Park. Cary Park is where you see all the Space Needle shots, uh, where the Space Needle looks like it's right there in front of you. You can pick it up. Mm-hmm. And what they did was they made it look like that's where this kid's school was. Mm. Which it's mm-hmm. not, because right. on the other side of the street is houses, so right, right. no way there's a school there. I still enjoyed it thoroughly. All right, my number four is my favorite comedy of the year. Barely edging out Austin Powers, a spy who shagged me. It is Office Space, which what? is yep, which stars Ron Livingston. Uh, it, it stars Ron Livingston. It has Jennifer Aniston in it, Diedrich Bader. Gary Cole is in it, and the great character actor, Stephen Root, who, of course, plays Milton, the character who inspired the film. There's a, John C. McGinley is in it. There's a lot of people in this. This is a great, hilarious comedy about office culture. I've lived this for a handful of years, so this there's so much truth to this movie. There's a lot of great 
cathartic moments as an office worker in this film. And we, I just introduced this film to Shanna a couple weeks ago, and it still holds up and is pretty solid. And it's one of Mike Judge's best works. That's Office Space. And it's my fourth favorite film from 1999. And if you're a commuter, you should go check out this film because oh, the, the first five minutes will have you like cry laughing. Because it is. It's cathartic. It's like saying you're not alone. <laughs> What's your third favorite film? Dogma. Really? Dogma? Did Dogma get on your list? It actually has fallen off oh of my, my list. Oh my god, that's so sad. I'm glad I yeah. picked it up for you. Yeah, if, if, if you were to ask my 18-year-old self, yeah, this film would be in the top five for sure. I love the bizarreness and originality of this story. Mm. It's also a really, it's really good to see Alan Rickman. Yeah, he's hilarious. I quote him in that movie a lot where he says... Good Lord, if it's not in a movie, it's not worth knowing, isn't it? Yeah, hilarious. So it's, it's great seeing him. It's about fallen angels who are set out to destroy humanity, God's creation, as a way of getting back to that parental figure, God. <laughs> a team is set against them in their mission to protect humanity, and along the way, we, as the observers, learn a few interesting things and dynamics between magical creatures god and humans that is why i really like it is mm. because it, it has fun with yeah. who god is and i'm like what if god really was like that i'd totally be down for being a christian like you know that would be totally my jam yeah i mean it's kevin smith working out his catholicism essentially and it's probably his best film it has a, a great cast too and i like that he doesn't talk in the film Right, he's, he's Silent Bob. But, yeah. yeah, in all the Jersey uh, films, which I don't know if you've seen very many of. No. Yeah. I, I tried one other one, and I couldn't get through it. Uh, now awesome pick, though. My third favorite film of 1999 is The Blair Witch Project. So, so Shanna just walked away, as she did when I spoke of it a few episodes back. This movie is incredibly effective. So at the time, let's let's take ourselves back. Let's go back in time to 1999. The marketing campaign for this film was insane. It was all over the uh, fairly new and young internet. It was on TV. There were TV specials. All purporting that the Blair Witch is real. And that people have gone missing and everything. And... That it was so immersive that you actually went in this movie thinking, wait, is this real? Is, no, this, is this really real? Because you didn't actually know the actors or anything. They're all no-name actors at the time. And it is an effective horror film. And one of the reasons why even today it's still effective is it is a great example of not showing you the monster or whatever, you know? It's It's... It's terrifying just what you hear in the film or what the characters are seeing that you can't see. And from its first-person perspective, this is kind of the granddaddy of found footage films, by the way, which there's a big trend of in the past decade. You keep wanting to kind of turn your head around to see just beyond what the frame is showing you, just so you could see what the hell is going on. This film is one of the most effective horror films to this date. It has not aged. It, it, it's, it holds up because it's so simply 
produced and directed. It's brilliant, a brilliant horror film. I still defend this film to this day. And when I saw the final shot in the theater, I gasped and nearly flipped out. So that's The Blair Witch Project. It is my third favorite film of 1999. Shanna? And I'm back. So my number two... (laughs) What is your second favorite? I saw that film as soon as it came out on video. So how old was I? Too young. Again. Too, too fucking young. God, woman. Too fucking young. I <laughs> <laughs> love that my parents weren't that strict with our movie watching, but shit, I wish they had intervened on that one. <laughs> yeah, a couple apparently. A yeah. couple movies. Yeah. So my number two is Tarzan. I love the really? musical track by Phil Collins. Uh-huh. I love the characters, how carefree and loving they all are. The journey of being a man is lovely, and that's also the title of one of the songs journey of being a man lovely no i'm kidding it's it's son of man oh okay which is about you know what it's like becoming a man okay it's a really healthy look into how to grow up it also focuses on the theme of no harm to one another unless you're protecting each other from a common enemy Uh, i even used to watch the tarzan tv show Uh, i loved tarzan so much and i loved jane as well so what's your number two? Well, first of all, that film is available on Hulu. Oh, that's it's right. It's important yes. to note. My second favorite film, however, of 1999 is Toy Story 2, which... It's my number one. I think, um, oh, that's awesome. Mm. So I think on a technical level, on the CGI, it holds up better than the original Toy Story film. Yes. And I really thought the story takes things to another level. Introducing, of course, Jesse and Bullseye. Jessie's song, When She Loved Me, by Sarah McLachlan, really is a, is a tearjerker. Cleansing um, cry, I think right it, there. Yeah, I think it, it, it's more affecting than anything in the original Toy Story yeah. film. There's hilarious meta stuff, like the whole thing with, what is his name, Zerg and Buzz Lightyear? Yeah. The, there are, there's a fight in an elevator shaft, and <laughs> you get caught up and you're like, oh no! But then you realize they're just action figures. Nothing actually can happen to Buzz, right? Unless he gets like smashed with a steamroller or something. Right. Like, like there's nothing that Zerg can do with his yes. little blaster balls That's or anything right. that can actually affect uh, Buzz. But you get caught up for a moment yeah. in the whole scene and everything. And it's just kind of it's hilarious. And uh, of course, it's a hilarious movie in general. And I I I love it. And it was at one point my favorite Pixar film until Toy Story 3 came out at that time. Yes, yes. So I have to admit how I felt about Toy Story, the first one. Yeah? It made me really sad. Really? Not, not because like Toy Story 1 was a sad movie, but because it was kind of this end of... I thought it was going to be the end of animation, traditional animation. Oh. Um, and the look of that. And it made me really upset mm. because I had spent most of my childhood with that. But this is one of my favorite sequels. Like, I love... Like, ever. Yeah. I love mm. Rugrats 2. I love Toy Story 2. You know, I feel huh. like I feel like Toy Story 2 was a better movie for me because, you know, we don't go through that whole Woody being a jerk, you know, and Woody having a hard time with jealousy. And those are right. good themes. You know, and then we, we have Jessie, and her story is just so gut-wrenching. Mm. Um, it makes you want to go home and unpack all your toys. <laughs> like let them breathe some air you yeah know? yeah and i think i was like i don't know preteen at this point so i was packing toys away 
And it just, it was really Perfect time for you. Yeah. yeah. And, well, it was really conflicting for me. Mm. So I, I really love that film. It's, and it, all the reasons you mentioned. It's a great film, for sure. But I do leave the room when, when that song comes on. If I don't feel like crying, mm, I leave yeah. the room. It, it is definitely the only film, the only animated film that, that surpasses Iron Giant on any level that came out that year. But... My favorite film of 1999 is The Matrix, which is available now on Hulu. I, I can't deny this, this film. This film still holds up to this day. It's, it's a landmark in science fiction film. At the time, it was going to be the new Star Wars. It was, it was that exciting. Oh, yeah. uh, and it actually ended up being way better than the Star Wars movie at the time. It was a whole new trilogy, a whole new hero's journey. It blew everybody's minds in what it was doing. And the visual effects of the time blew everybody's minds and actually led to a whole trend of copycats that really took their own lessons from The Matrix. But it, it was extraordinary film it, with, with a great cast, uh, Keanu Reeves, and Lawrence Fishburne, of, of course, um, up there. Hugo Weaving, who became famous because of this movie as an Agent Smith. It's just a solid, solid action film with some incredible, incredible um, choreography in it. And But more importantly, what it's doing under the surface and its messages and themes is some great psychology stuff that you could actually tease out and, and discuss and, and just really chew on for a while. And on its own, separate from its sequels even, this film really works and holds up. So it's my favorite film of 1999. One of the great films of the year that was not recognized appropriately. I mean, come on, like The Matrix versus Cider House Rules? Come on, you know? So um, even American uh, Beauty isn't, is no Matrix. But anyway... I digress. What is your favorite film of 1999? Go ahead and email us at thegibsonreview at gmail.com. Shannon, before we talk about what's happening in the next episode, where can people find you on the internet? You can find me at hashtag Bryn Gomorrah back. Um, Good God. <laughs> anyway, you can find me at shannonpaxton.com, S-H-A-N-N-A-P-A-X-T-O-N, and you'll find all my social medias uh, channels through there all right so find more episodes on itunes or soundcloud go ahead and subscribe leave reviews we really appreciate that so people other people can find us go to the gibsonreview.com to find past episodes past articles the original film faves 1999 i'll try to link to in our show notes here too you can find that there go to facebook the, the Gibson Review to find more about the episodes as well as third party links and other content and of course flick chart the Gibson 99 to find more of the films I have seen and what my favorites are next time on the movie lovers we have kind of a big episode coming up next oh we do Yes, we will not have a film faves in the next episode, kind of like the last episode where we reviewed Avengers Infinity War. This upcoming episode will be a double main event 
we will first review Deadpool 2, and then we will review Solo, a Star Wars story. So you can look for that on May 29th. It's going to be a big one, folks. Until then, keep loving the movies. And this is Jeff and Shanna saying bye-bye.